0: You are now listening to Bookish: The Canon Continues, the podcast that's dismantling the sacred secular divide with your host Michelle Collins. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Bookish: The Canon Continues. I am, of course, your host Michelle Collins, and I'm really excited today because I have with me sharing the microphone one of my very, very good friends. Um, depending on the day, some days he pisses me off, but you know, most of the time he's a, he's an all right kind of guy. And uh, no, I'm kidding. He's always an all right kind of guy, and he's been a good friend for a while now. Um, As you know, what our shtick here is at Bookish is we are looking for the bridge between the sacred and the secular. We are looking to identify those things that maybe do not come across as specifically spiritual, but how they affect us on a spiritual basis. And to show that we can all just get along in this world without having to, you know, deviate into little camps of spirituality and secularity. So is that a word, secularity? It is today. All right, there we go. All right, and so many of you may recognize that voice. That is none other than Matthew Distefano. Say hi, Matt.
1: Hi, Michelle. I, I, I don't. Um, I hope today is not one of those days that uh, that I've pissed you off.
0: <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> you know, I can't think of a time you've pissed me off, other than in a joking fashion. So.
1: Well, well, here's the here's the, to worry about. Here's the deal: when relationships are real and vulnerable, you're going to have moments where you piss each other off. And yeah, sure. and the true test of of a of a solid relationship is you move through it. Sure. And and as and so, a wise a wise sage once said, the only way out is through. So push, <laughs> push push through it, Michelle.
0: I love how you always bring that up. I gave you credit <laughs> once or twice for that. And it's always out there now. Yeah, <laughs> no, but love. you're right. It's absolutely true. And I do live by that principle now. So anytime I feel anxiety about something, I just push through it and get it over with. <laughs> there you go. But as you said, a testament to a relationship, there are going to be those times. But I can say honestly that if there have been those times, I don't remember them. So it's well, good.
1: So they weren't that important.
0: They weren't that important. No. And honestly, I don't remember if there's ever been any, to be honest. So <laughs> you're but, one of um, those few people that I like almost all the time.
1: Oh my God, that's a. I think that says more about you. (laughs) It does.
0: It actually does. I'm a difficult person. I don't play well with others. So
1: (laughs) I don't either. So I don't know how this is working out between us. I don't know.
0: Well, we're both deeply introverted and we both deeply respect that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, true. True that.
0: (laughs) But okay. So as I kind of explained to you earlier, what we normally do here is a back of the book bio about yourself. So take it away. Tell us about yourself, Matt.
1: Oh my goodness. I am a very eclectic person. I have a lot of interests in uh, different facets of life. And um, like you mentioned a little bit, like I don't, see the spiritual secular secularity is that the word you used split the
0: word I used
1: (laughs) so so I I try to I try to bring spirituality to every aspect of my life or secularity into (laughs) the spiritual world so I, I just I just try to be a human being so I have a lot of interests I kind of um go wherever the wind takes me I'm into writing books I'm into doing podcasts Um, I'm into music. I studied music in school. I'm a huge hip hop guy. Uh I love hiking. I love European football. I love gardening. And um I'm kind of all over the map. And I might be interested in something different tomorrow. I don't know.
0: Well, you're a Renaissance
1: man. I'm a Renaissance man. I'm the (laughs) Renaissance man.
0: Uh, Okay, so now this is your this is your time for shameless plugs. So you get to tell us what books you've written and you should also mention your podcasts, of which you have several.
1: I do have several. Well, people probably know me from Heretic Happy Hour because that, for some reason, I don't understand it, has gotten insanely popular. My other podcasts <laughs> are not so popular, so I'll plug those. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I don't know how you do this thing where you, where you kind of talk by yourself for a while. You know, you yeah. have guests on there, but sometimes I know you do things solo. So I've got yeah. Apostates Anonymous, uh, which sometimes I also do solo. And uh, it's fun, but it's a challenge, especially for someone who doesn't like to listen to myself talk for like an hour. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. And then I've got the bonfire sessions, which is on hiatus because unfortunately, uh, you know, my comrade in life, Mike Machuga, uh, got diagnosed with cancer this year. Mm. So uh, we put that on hiatus um, at the moment. And I'm not sure if it's going to be rebooted or not. We're planning on it. but. Yeah, I've got that. And it's also a book series. So if anyone wants to read the books, they're like super cheap on Kindle. Uh, they're called the Bonfire Sessions as well.
0: I was going to say you have the most recent ones about to come out, right? The winter
1: it's, one? Yeah, it's coming out. I don't know when this episode's going to come out, but January 20th, 2021, if we make it that far, this year has been <laughs> kind of a bitch. So um, I hope we make it there.
0: I kind of sweated through yesterday because uh, one of my friends had told me that their neighbors had approached them with a three-page letter explaining how the world was about to end on on December 20th.
1: I heard that. Yeah, yeah, I heard that there was going to
0: be a loud boom and there was going to be all these things happening in the the night sky and all this. So about midway yesterday, I kind of contacted that friend and said, okay, I'm still here. Are you still here? I haven't heard a boom, you know, but you know, there is supposed to be some celestial things happening tonight. So maybe it's then, but we all seem to have come through it unscathed.
1: Well, they would have been really funny if they just refused to text you back (laughs) because that's my sixth sense of humor. I don't know.
0: Oh my God. That would not go over well. (laughs) The hell just happened. The rapture happened.
1: (laughs) Panic stricken. Start texting all your friends.
0: No, it would just confirm what I knew all along. I knew I wasn't going to make the cut.
1: (laughs) Uh, I I knew that from age five or six, Michelle. I'm with you. Don't text me because I would have texted you back. (laughs) Exactly.
0: We're both stuck here. Yep. (laughs) Oh. Well, all right. So you chose the book for this one. So why don't you introduce it and give us a little background as to why you chose it. And as I kind of mentioned to you earlier, I don't I don't know how we can look at this book and not see spirituality, but go ahead and explain the, the connection for you.
1: Well, um, I chose The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. And I did this for a couple reasons. Uh, first and foremost, because my best friend, Mike um, Machuga, who, who I just mentioned, loves Alan Watts, um, is enamored with Alan Watts. Um, kind of his whole philosophy in life is has been so impacted by Alan Watts, kind of in the same way mine has been impacted by folks like Gerard. Mm-hmm. Um So I picked this book and and I did it because I've only read, I got to be honest. um, (laughs) I've only read one other book by Alan Watts and I had this on my shelf. And, and so I was like, okay, well this is a perfect excuse to finally read some more Alan Watts. I've read things online. I've listened to videos and all that. And I read the way of Zen beforehand. Um, but this book is just so practical in your day-to-day life that I and I knew that about Alan Watts I didn't know that particularly about this book but my my whole like philosophy nowadays is like if we don't have a practical spirituality that 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 helps us in the here and now it's it's if it's if it's just ivory tower type stuff I don't know if there's much use to it And, and so what I love about this book and, and Alan Watts in general is that it's so simple to read, but you have to read it over and over because there's there's no fluff. Like every sentence is intentional (laughs) and every sentence is like a gut punch.
0: Yes. As I told you earlier, uh, when we were kind of getting ready to start here, it's easy to read. It's just mentally dense it's, it'll make you think. And it'll, I told you, it kind of gave me a headache by the time I was done. I was like, Oh my God, there's so much here to consider. I, I don't know where to start.
1: <laughs> yes. And, and it's very difficult for someone like myself. And maybe you resonate with this, uh, to, I'm a very productive person. Like I always right. like to do things and he starts the whole thing off. This is just from the preface. I'll read it real quick. If I could find it, it should be easy. It's uh, <laughs> right. at the start. It's like literally the first sentence. And this is, this is like Mike Machuga's philosophy in, in a nutshell. I've always been fascinated by the law of reversed effort. Sometimes I call it the backwards law. When you try to stay on the surface of the water, you sink. But when you try to sink, you float. When you hold your breath, you lose it, which immediately calls to mind an ancient and much neglected saying, whosoever would save his soul shall lose it. Right. And to me, it's like, oh my God, we try and we try and we try. And in the Christian world, we strive and we 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 are diligent about reading our Bible and going to church and making sure you go volunteer in some way, and all those things could be fine and good, but I think they they kind of defeat the purpose, which is to seek God, and I think we seek God by relaxing and not not right. not striving so hard and so right yeah, off the bat, I, Alan watch like this you I, with a, oh, he
0: does. And, and that's what I was saying, you know, as I was going through it, the one thing that kept coming to mind for me was that he was legitimizing every experience I've had so far in deconstructing what I believe. Um, basically, you know, I had reached a point where I'm like, I can't try to understand this anymore because it's just not making sense. And so I just give up. And when I give up, there's a sense of peace that comes in a better mm. understanding, which is amazing. And that's what you're talking about there, that, that trying to, 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 to swim and you sink and trying to sink and you float it's it seems counterproductive and yet it is the answer and it's it's fascinating
1: yeah it is the it's it's uh it's why you know i don't know if you've told your listeners that we've written a book together that is in the editing editing (laughs) well i'm gonna i'm gonna out you here you're gonna that is, me. <laughs> in the editing process. It's why we called it. And it's sort of my deconstruction story, like with you aiding the conversation and kind of right. um molding it. It's why we're calling it learning to float, because in deconstruction, mm-hmm. you you realize, at least this is my experience, you don't go anywhere necessarily. Right. You stop, you stop splashing about, and then you realize, oh, if I just relax here, I'm actually good. Right. I can float.
0: And honestly, that is such just that idea. At least for me, anyway, it brings such a sense of peace, um, which is ironic because when you look at the tagline of his book here, it's "The Wisdom of Insecurity: A Message for an Age of Anxiety." And I think that that, of course, is so many people's experience: anxiety in every aspect or you know perspective of our life, up to and including our ideas about God and spirituality. There's this over you know overwhelming or even sometimes subversive. Message of anxiety that goes along with that, and we're so busy trying to trying to answer that anxiety that we never realize the answer is just to relax into it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I had somebody tell me that um, one time as I was trying to learn to deal with because uh, I have periods of anxiety, high anxiety, generalized. I don't have a, necessarily a reason for it, and and I struggle with that. And they told me instead of trying to combat it, why don't you try to take the emotion out of it and observe it. And it's an interesting process. It's very difficult to do. But when I did that, it was like, oh, wow, that's what it looks like. You know, and and so taking that moment to quit fighting it is actually what brings peace from it. And, And trying to understand it just simply brings more confusion as opposed to just letting it happen.
1: Yeah, and Watts talks about this in in one of the later chapters about suffering and about pain and resisting the yes. pain, and, and it's when we resist it, it actually makes it worse. Which right. is, it seems contradictory, it seems counterintuitive, but when you when you uh, experience that what he's talking about, it actually. It actually works. It, it's. It reminds me of um, getting a deep tissue massage. When at first it hurts really bad, and yeah. but when you are able to, like, and and then you tense up, right? So you like clench your your muscles. But yes. when you are able to actually allow it to happen, you still feel the like the the pain, and it's good pain, but it doesn't hurt as bad. It doesn't affect you in the same way and it is a difficult thing to do because you want to resist suffering you want to resist pain but the reality of it is we're all going to suffer and we're all going to experience pain and resisting it actually exacerbates the problem
0: right right and that's a, that's an excellent example by the way cuz i do i get deep tissue massages and honestly you're right it's the tensing up that makes it so much worse yeah and you really, it's not even something you control at the beginning. It, you know, you have to, you have to force yourself to relax out of that. Um, and it does, it makes the pain worse as it, you know, if we would just lay there and this would just all go easier if you just lay back.
1: <laughs> you just lay back and take it. <laughs>
0: Well, that's a line from Dumb and Dumber. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but
1: oh, of course, I know we quote yes.
0: the office all the time. but Yeah,
1: no, Dumb and Dumber is one of my favorite movies of all right. time. Right.
0: You know, like where he's trying to save the guy and he's like, this will go easier if you just lay back. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's how all of this works. It would just go easier if we just lay back, but we're incapable of doing so. There is something innate within us that seems to strive um, to control, I think, more than anything. And, and then to understand.
1: Yeah, which only yeah. Then leads
0: us to a place of pain.
1: But in our in our under in our trying to understand, I think we defeat the purpose. Uh where do we, we you know, we it's kind of self-defeating. Watts talks about um like if you have murky water, you you don't clear the water by brushing away the silt. You leave it right. alone, you step away and the silt will will sink to the bottom and a lot of our spiritual pursuits are just that exactly. It's it's again going back to um, there's like an art to laziness, and and I don't mean it in um, in in like a broadest brush way, um, but there is a, there's an art to being uh, allowing yourself to be still, and that's so hard for any human being. But I think especially as Americans in Western culture, we are we are. Um, it's amazing that this book. The Wisdom of Insecurity was written in 1951. I
0: know, right?
1: And it's so appropriate for today, seventy year, almost 70 years later.
0: Yeah, I was just saying that last night. I was telling my husband about the book, and I was like, it, it's amazing to me. It feels like it could have been written for right now.
1: Right. Yeah, <clears throat> well, I, like,
0: I think that they, same, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh,
1: no, the only thing is like, you know, uh, there's some things where he, he uses the word man instead of humanity, but and that dates, right. and that dates it, of course— but right. uh, but other than the, those things, yeah, it's it it it's very appropriate for today.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I I think anxiety has only increased as time has gone on. So, and and I think our quest to understand and for knowledge and everything has been increasing as well. So it it makes sense that it's a, it's kind of a timeless subject. Mm. Um, but in that same area, you know, where he where you were talking about the water and and clearing the water. He makes a differentiation here that I had underlined. Um, he said, we must make a clear distinction between belief and faith because in general practice, belief has come to mean a state of mind, which is almost the opposite of faith. And I know you and I've had those conversations before um, about what's faith and certainty and all of those things. Um, and he continues, he says, belief, as I use the word here, is the insistence that the truth is what one would leaf or wish it to be. The believer will open his mind to the truth on condition that it fits with his preconceived ideas and wishes. Faith, on the other hand, is an unreserved opening of the mind to the truth, whatever it may turn out to be. Faith has no preconceptions. It's a plunge into the unknown. Belief clings, but faith lets go. Mm. And I thought that is so succinctly perfect in describing the difference there. Um. Because I I don't know about you, but of course and I when we've talked about this, the idea that all along our beliefs, you know, we we won't be moved. That's what faith looks like. And it's the complete opposite. Faith is unafraid to to not know. Yeah. You know, whereas belief is dogmatic and it's persistent in its in its insistence that it's right. And I find so much of that you know was prevalent in what i believed about god and spirituality for the majority of my life you know and in in one paragraph here he's he's summed it up something that's taken me several years to understand <laughs> if only i had only just read this paragraph like 7 years ago
1: yeah but the, <laughs> the unless you have the right approach to and the right mindset you're not going right. to be able to um you could read the words but it's not right. going to hit you in the gut like like it could if you're if you're ready to uh accept that if you're ready to, right. to to at least entertain the idea
0: well you know it's it's kind of funny because a long time ago i actually noticed something on social media you know like when everybody start first starts examining their beliefs or whatever there's this um there's this tendency towards argument and having to correct other people right And with your newfound knowledge, and I'm using newfound in air quotes, you know, you suddenly, the world has opened up, you have a whole new understanding and now you need everybody to get it. And, but then if you watch, it's almost cyclical. You can see it happen over time. There's, there's a lessening of the arguing and suddenly there is almost an acceptance of, I can't make you change your mind and I'm okay with that. Right. And that is a really peaceful place to be. Because it's not my responsibility, nor is it my job to make anybody else's ideas make sense for them. I just get to sit back and wait for them to figure it out. And it doesn't have to affect me. It doesn't have to threaten me. It just has to be their process. And I think that's what you're saying, that that mindset, you can't bring anybody to that mindset. They have to find themselves there.
1: Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Mike. That's uh, part
0: of that letting go.
1: Right. Mike. um, in one of our books, I can't remember where he uses the analogy of, um, trying to pull on a corn stalk to make it grow faster. And it's like, yeah, as, as anyone (laughs) who understands, yeah, as anyone who understands plants at all, you realize you can't, you can't make things grow like that. You'll just uproot them. And, um, you know, I, I have definitely fallen for that. Like when I first was like deconstructed things, I, I, I emailed pastors. I was like, Hey, have you heard this? Like, God might love all of us. <laughs> maybe exactly. people aren't. Maybe people aren't going to burn in hell forever. And I was emailing them, <laughs> and I was telling people. And I quickly learned. I quickly learned not to do that. But practicing it took a while yes. because yeah. you know, you know, you come across all these posts on social media or even the comment section of your blog, and you want to interact with all these people, and then you realize it's like eh, their, their opinion doesn't affect me. And I don't know. Maybe it was on your page. You posted something about if you wouldn't go to people for advice, the people, those same, like, like, don't, don't listen to their criti- criticism either. Yeah,
0: exactly. And which I'm horribly, woefully bad at.
1: Well, <laughs> I internalize yeah.
0: everything. So I'm having to learn to have thicker skin. But it, but you're right. There's a sense. I think when that first starts, there's a sense of excitement at learning something new and you just want to share it with other people. Yeah. Um, but then when you get that pushback and in a lot of cases, that pushback is pretty, pretty awful. Sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of name calling. I mean, you don't know anything about that. I know, but, um,
2: nope.
0: that was me making a joke,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, um,
0: um, but yeah, I know I missed the drum roll. Darn it. Um, <laughs> no, but eventually what ends up happening is it is there's less excitement when you're sharing something and more almost a sense of bitterness and anger, mm. um, that you're working through that people can't see what you see and they're not as enlightened as you, um, it's a psychological process. I think it's something that we have to go through. And then we reach that place, you know, eventually of it's okay that I can't convince you and I'm not angry about it anymore. Right. You know, which is, which is a nice place to be, but I don't know that you get there without going through the other stages. Um, because it's, it's almost a learning experience, you know, this excitement, which leads to being, ignored or rejected in some form. And and so there's anger that's associated with that naturally to then becoming secure in yourself and saying, I'm okay. And I don't have to prove myself to anybody else. I don't have to even explain myself to anybody else. And, and I think that's a great place to be. And for the most part, I find myself there often. Um, Every now and then I have a bad day and I feel like I need to kick somebody's ass for a few minutes, but <laughs> it never makes me feel better in the end. So
1: no, it's, but. Um, But you're, you know, you're right. It's all part of a learning curve. And, and, um, you know, any of these things that are cyclical, you don't just go linearly from one to the other and you get through it. It's not, you know, like, like people, you, you, you tend to bounce back and forth. And then you have those moments where you just want to lay waste to everyone who doesn't get it like you do. And why don't these stupid people not get it like I do? And, (laughs) and you have to check yourself and, and, and then back off of that.
0: Well, you know, I mean, that's all ego. That's what it all comes down to is all ego. Um, And and I want to talk about that in a minute, but I wanted to read this, uh, this paragraph, because I I think this to me, I sat and pondered this for a while. And I thought, what a beautiful way of saying it. Uh, He says, by the same law of reversed effort, we discover the infinite and the absolute, not by straining to escape from the finite and relative world, but by the most complete acceptance of its limitations. Paradox as it may seem, we likewise find life meaningful only when we have seen that it is without purpose and we know the mystery of the universe only when we are convinced that we know nothing about it at all. And I remember there was a time when I posted something on my Facebook page about the only thing I know is that I know nothing. Yeah. And there was a great sense of independence in that thought and freedom in that thought. Yeah. Um, And of course, people immediately argued with me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> but yeah. so again that comes back to that whole ego conversation though. And he goes into that later in the book when he talks about the difference between I and me. Yeah. And I found that part fascinating. I had to go through that a few times because I I, I got kind of mired down there for a while like trying to differentiate and then I realized I'm doing exactly what he's talking about like there shouldn't be a difference between the two
1: <laughs> sure
0: and here i am trying to identify the two
1: <laughs> sure yeah it's um this this whole idea and I, I love that you used that quote this whole idea when you tell people there is no meaning to life you're going to get people to argue yes. with you yes and, and 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 it's because we just simply don't get it we we need to be told what the meaning is but when you understand that there is no meaning to the dance, there is no meaning to the song, you actually paradoxically, like he says, you draw out the infinite meaning in the situation. Right. So if there is no one meaning to life, then, then meaning becomes infinite because it's simply about experience. Right. And therefore... When there is no one meaning, we we have this infinite experience here in this finite place. Uh, all all meanings open up. All possible meanings open up uh, for all of us to experience whatever we're going to experience. Right. So and yeah, so, and it's- so my daughter dances. If we say if 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 her choreographer said this is the meaning of the dance. It doesn't allow us as observers or the participants in the dance to say, what, well, what meaning are you getting out of it? Like, if you're a, right. no, if you're a novelist, what is, what is Tolkien, what is the meaning of Lord of the Rings? Well, right. my God, uh, <laughs> don't tell me the meaning. Let us draw out the infinite meaning in that text.
0: Well, and what's amazing about that is depending on the season of your life, that meaning may even change. Absolutely. You know, you'll, you will glean new things depending upon what your learned experiences are over the course of your life. And I think that's what makes it so amazing. So you're right. If somebody offers you a definition, they limit you, um, rather than allowing you to experience or, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, to discover it on your own. Right. And, and we, do, so we do a disservice if we're trying to explain it to people rather than allowing them to discover it on their own. And, yeah. and he makes a point about that, about God, um, years, it's been a couple of years ago now. I love Peter Rollins. By the yeah. way, how come you guys have never had Peter Rollins on Heritage?
1: That's a good question. Um, I don't know.
0: He's fantastic. Yeah, he is. Anyway, you guys should have him. Um. But I remember hearing him say something one time and I sat and thought about it and it kind of kind of messed up my mind for a while. He literally said, as soon as you begin to describe God, you have made an idol of him. Wow. And okay. Thought, Whoa. And I had to stop and really think about that for a while. But he's right because as soon as we begin to describe anything, we are putting our perspective on it, our lens on it, our experiences on it and presenting it as truth. It becomes very subjective. As opposed to some kind of objective truth, which is what God, in air quotes, is supposed to be, we are subjectively experiencing him and then saying that's the definition. And that has become, I think, very problematic and is evidenced by the number of denominations that we have and religions that we have worldwide, you know, that that we've all made a determination as to what God looks like. But he actually says that in here, too. He says, if you ask me to show you God, I will point you to the sun or a tree or a worm. But if you say you mean then that God is the sun, the tree, the worm, and all these other things, I shall have to say that you have missed the point entirely. <laughs> yeah, And I loved that. I was like, exactly. I can't tell you what God looks like. And you can't tell me what God looks like. We all get to experience him and figure that out on our own.
1: And all we can do is point. <laughs> yes. If you, it, it, It's like uh, the, the analogy, if I point at the moon, and I write down M-O-O-N, and you say, oh, that's the moon. Then you've missed the point. Like, no, the moon I pointed at. So, right. and, but then we use, our, we use our ego, we use our language to write down the thing. and then, But even writing that down has limited it. Yes. And, and, and I love it. I mean, in the West, we have cataphatic knowledge. So it's the knowledge of God through affirmation. But in the East, right. there's an apophatic knowledge. It's, it's through what God is not. And I think we need to, uh, in the West, embrace that a little bit more by describing God through negation. Let's talk a little bit more about what God is not so that when we're pointing at it, we have less of our own... We're never going to get away from our subjective experience and our grids and our filters, but those grids and filters can be a little clearer and not so cloudy.
0: Right. I agree. And it... (laughs) It's difficult to do that, though, because that is our learned experience. That is how we have always communicated. And so trying to learn to do it differently is very difficult. But I find a lot of value in that as well, because I do think there are more things that we can. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's not. That's a dicey statement. I I was going to say, I think there's more things that we can agree on that God is not than what we can agree that God is but I don't know that that's true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it might not be
0: true, but somebody telling God was, God was violent. So.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but it gives us, um, it gives us another perspective, another way to approach things, like another epistemology. We can, we can, we, because we, we don't typically think of, of these, um, these alternate ways. And I say alternate because we're in the West, but these alternate ways of approaching things. and, And I think when our mind is a little more open uh, it's just another tool in our toolbox.
0: Right, right. But again, as you're saying, not one that's well-known here where we live. Um,
1: no, no. We have things like the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is so <laughs> many state. I mean, my God, we've gotten to so many things we could say about God. And, and I, I would imagine, I haven't read anything on Alan Watts critiquing the Westminster <laughs> Confession of Faith, but I can only imagine what he would have to say and, and the absurdity of making lists like that. And um, because again, it's like, it's not like God is so complex that we cannot match that complexity with complex words. We need to approach it much more simply and just allow God to be.
0: Right. But the problem is, again, we keep coming back to, we have to define it. We have to make it palatable and we have to make it something that people want, you know? And so we try to define God. And in so doing, We create an idol basically of, of our own thoughts. And he actually made it. I read this to my husband the other night. He's like, you have to read that to me again. I don't understand what this is saying, (laughs) but in the beginning of the book, he actually says this, um, these idols are not just crude images such as the mental picture of God as an old gentleman on a golden throne. They are our beliefs our cherished preconceptions of the truth, which block the unreserved opening of the mind and heart to reality. The legitimate use of images is to express the truth, not possess it. And I love that. And then there was another one. I don't remember where it is now. Um, but along the same lines where he was talking about basically our own thoughts and beliefs have become our definition of God. And they are nothing more than an idol. Yeah, Because they can encompass the, the totality of God. So we we've dumbed him down, we've dumbed God down basically to fit into what we can understand and so basically we have created God in our own image. And yeah. by doing so we do a disservice to everyone around us.
1: Yeah, I actually jotted down a quote uh, along those lines and I read it to my wife and uh, she loved it. Um it's uh if this is true in the various arts and sciences Sciences, It is a thousand times more true when we come to the understanding of life in a larger sense and want to have some knowledge of the ultimate reality, or God. It is surely absurd to seek God in terms of a preconceived idea of what God is. To seek thus is only to find what we know already, which is why it's so easy to deceive oneself into all manner of, quote, supernatural experiences and visions. To believe in God and to look for God you believe in is simply to seek confirmation of an opinion. To ask for a revelation of God's will and then to test it by reference to your preconceived moral standards is to make a mockery of asking. You knew the answer already. Yeah. And is that not what we all do in church? we. day. Uh, We, we, uh, we, we just sit there and we have someone tell us what we already believe and that confirms what we already believe. And we end up in this, this cycle of confirmation bias and patting ourselves on our, on our back.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's so funny because we all want God to be bigger than we think and better than we think. And then we limit him to what we think and, I know I'm just as guilty of that as anybody else. And like I said, it's such a hard habit to break. Um, But I really feel like in the last year or so, I've gotten to the point of where this has all been so much for me mentally. I've just kind of almost checked out of any discussion of God, more or less. And in doing so, I have found that I have found much more peace with God because of that. And, and it seemed like such a conundrum, but then after reading this in his, you know, um, what did he call it? The law of, um, it just went right out of my head. The,
1: the law of reverse effort.
0: Yes, reversed effort. So again, going back to that trying, you know, trying not to sink. I was trying not to sink. And when I relaxed, I stopped sinking, you know, and and I think I see God better now. But now I'm very cautious about that statement. Even saying that makes me feel a little funny because, again, I'm I realize immediately I'm still seeing what I see. Maybe not well, to totality. More than likely not well, to totality. So,
1: well, I think when I think when you describe it, that's when your hesitancy is. But when you actually observe it and experience it in the first person, in the subjective, you are probably that's the moment when you're at peace. And then when you try to describe it and try to justify, it and then, but that's when we get into the problem because then we're we are, we are uh, we've been removed or we've removed ourselves. From the naked now, as Richard Rohr would call it,
0: right, right.
1: But my ge- my guess is and- when you're actually relaxing in that moment and just experiencing it, like like athletes are in the zone. When you're in the zone, you know you're in the zone. When you're trying to describe being in the zone, maybe then you right. question yourself. <laughs> That's when you yeah. quite. Well, you know, am I is what I'm saying? Describing it right? Well, no, but it, but you know, again. Once you get out of that moment, it's it's kind of moot, right? I mean that right. that experience was for you and you only, really. I mean, you could try, you could try to describe it and, and, and all that, and all that's fine and good, but it, it's secondary.
0: But and again, that's where I think misunderstandings come in with people. Um, they listen to you, try to describe an experience, and and then they build upon that by their own subjective understanding of it, and say, "Oh, so what you're saying is this." And this is why you're wrong. And and it carries on. And that's where I think a lot of our our separation comes from as far as it pertains to our ability to communicate about these kinds of subjects with one another. Is that we're not listening to hear somebody. We're listening to refute or to add to what they're saying. And I don't know that that's possible because like you're saying, using your athlete example, another athlete can't explain his zone to somebody. He just knows what it feels like. He can only explain maybe what he experiences in it, but they're still going to understand that from their own perspective. So you're, you're off to the races here with the subjective, you know, ideas about the same subject. And so that's, I think that's what happens with God is, is we all want to put out there what we think and feel about God. And yet we're not hearing what the other person's saying, or we're refuting what the other person's saying, because it doesn't match what we've experienced. And we're saying, well, one of us has to be right or wrong. And there's that, that big sense of duality Mm. instead of just saying, maybe both experiences are valid. Maybe God is big enough to be both of those experiences, you know? And one of the things that comes to mind, of course, is, you know, the very um, the argument in in spirituality with regard to, and I can't, there's a word for this and you'll probably know it. I don't recall offhand when everything is very experiential or everything is very theological, you know, Do you know what I mean? Shoot, I can't think of the word. Duck on it. Um, But I remember having these discussions um, with well-known theologians who would say, all that experiential shit is just that. It's just shit. You just need to learn the foundations of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And yet I had all these experiential things that backed up those foundations, and I was being told they were wrong. And so it created a quandary in my mind as to, well, maybe I just really don't understand God as opposed to me thinking maybe they both work together in some form or fashion, <laughs> you know, and, and, and finding common ground for both of them. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Is the word you're looking for a phenomenology?
0: Uh, no, it's another one. There's it's, it'll come to me probably in the middle of the night tonight. Cause that's how things, things generally work.
1: You could put um, it, you could just throw the word in post and you can, you can uh, <laughs> add, add it <laughs> in later.
0: There we go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll sound all intelligent and whatnot.
1: But. Right. Well, I, I would simply ask the, the ask someone: Have you ever experienced something outside of your own subjectivity?
0: I think that's a hard question for anybody to answer.
1: Well, I mean, no, it's- no, it's simple. The, the answer is no. <laughs>
0: Okay, I <laughs> can okay, see there again. I got all analytical and like, well, let me think about that. Let me try and do that. <laughs> well, I mean, like- <laughs> I, I,
1: I have not experienced that. Everything I've experienced has been subjective. Even yes, if there's right. an ob- even if there's an objective truth, I I, I must experience it subjectively, um, unless there's you know reincarnation and I've lived these other lives that I have no knowledge of. Uh, right. But even then, I would imagine those were subjective experiences.
0: Right. I, but I think I think the problem there is that from a psychological perspective, people want their subjective experience to be the correct experience because it makes them feel validated. And, and th- we all want to be validated. We all want to feel like we are knowledgeable about something and that we're bringing something valuable to the table in the, in the course of the discussion or, you know, whatever the situation may be. Um, but he actually kind of even speaks to that in here. He, um, when he's talking about wanting to be special or exclusive, do you remember that? He said, we want the protection of being exclusive and special, seeking to belong to the safest church, the best nation, the highest class, the right set, and the nice people. And these defenses lead to divisions between us, and so mm. to more insecurity demanding more defenses. It's a cyclical yeah. thing. And, and when I read that, I thought, see, again, that's another area where I read it and thought, God, this could have been written this year.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean.
0: That's all I've heard is it. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um,
1: it, it-, it- no, go ahead. Oh, it it just reminds me of um, you know the uh, Jesus' statement in John fourteen six about I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's like we can read that passage and create divisions, excuse sure. me, divisions, exclusions, or or um, we can read it as if like Jesus is is it like a door to the way. Um, we can read it to where. Uh, I forget the uh, Marcus Borg uses an analogy of a Hindu who um, says that to the Christians, that is, uh, that is, let me just find the actual quote so I don't, um, so I don't butcher this thing here. (laughs) Should have been more prepared, Matthew.
0: That's all right. I just kind of roll, you know, we just roll along. It doesn't matter. Plus, I'd rather have the actual quote, so. (laughs)
1: Well, you're you're gonna get. I don't need your subjective
0: uh, understanding of the quote, Matthew.
1: Well, either way, when we um, when I say it, you're gonna run it through your grid and filter anyway, so it doesn't matter. Oh, we're sure.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, you're right. You're
1: right. So, so um, here's Borg in um, reading the Bible for the first time. Uh, This verse, John 14, 6, is absolutely true. Jesus is the only way, said the Hindu professor. Then he continued, and that way of dying to an old way of being and being born into a new way of being is known in all the religions of the world. The way of Jesus is a universal way known even to millions who have never heard of Jesus. Hmm. So again, a lot of Christians come to that verse, for example, and they already have a theology of Jesus, a theology of hell, of the theology of salvation. And they read that passage through that grid and it confirms that Jesus. you got to say the magic phrase, you got to say the magic prayer right. to get into heaven. Or you can approach it like, uh, like Borg is approaching it here and say that there is that way and it's known to people who don't know Jesus. So this is a right. different way of approaching it. And I mean, yeah, you're right. This quote that Watts said could be said in 2020.
0: Yes. <laughs> if we're on, if
1: we keep on this trajectory, it could be said in 2040.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> I pray to God I'm wrong, but...
0: I do too. <laughs> but yeah, like so like we said earlier, this book is almost timeless. It feels like it's pertinent to right now, even though it was written, you know, almost, as you said, almost 70 years ago. Yeah. Um, Because again, people we are the same. (laughs) We do the same things over and over. It's human psychology at work. Um, And so you will see the same process going through time. The subject matter may change slightly, but the way humans respond to it will always remain the same because that's how we are. Um, And again, like I said, we all have this need to be right or to be validated. And so we're looking for what we know to be the truth that would make us feel good. I mean, I'd like to be right all the time. And, and to be honest, I am right most of the time. I'm just going to say it.
1: I will. No, yeah, I would. I will <laughs> affirm you, Michelle, in this moment.
0: Well, thank you. See, that's why you're my friend. <laughs> you're just here to affirm my craziness. Right, I'm,
1: yeah, I'm a yes man. That's
0: right. No, I don't think you're a yes man. I've seen your Facebook page.
1: <laughs> I know. You leave my Facebook page out of it. I'm still young. I don't have Facebook. I have TikTok, and that's it. Okay. Okay, okay we'll go. <laughs> oh, with <that>. Okay, boomer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just saying. I think you have some gray hair, just like I do. So.
1: Oh man, I um, I was I, I stumbled across some old videos when my daughter was one and two, and my oh. hair is like it's almost jet black. And now I look at my hair, and it's gray as shit. <laughs> Woo!
0: Yeah. minus two. That's why it's all blonde now. Oh, <laughs> so we is, can't see that. Is,
1: is that your secret?
0: <laughs> That's my secret. But anyway, <laughs> back to this. Um, I read something on Facebook today and I'm going to read it. I'm going to call out Kyle Butler here. Um, I love Kyle. I know I do too. Kyle is like one of the most uplifting people I know. Yeah um he wrote this he says i mean absolutely no disrespect to anyone who cherishes believes in uses respects and honors the bible differently than i do i don't speak for you but only for me after most of my life in and with the bible this is where i am outside of a few things jesus said i have absolutely very little if any use for what anyone else in the bible did and said and the only reason i find some solace with a few things jesus said is because those sayings speak of our divinity and oneness of the same essence of the divine, which I now understand is who I am. Um, and I have heard different critiques of, well, Kyle being one of them, but several people where they're like, well, they're saying they're God. And so as it pertains to this book, do you remember him going into that conversation about the I and the me? And then he go he, he likens it to the whole idea of being one with the father. I in and, and quotes, Jesus, um, in which he says, I am the father and the father is me. And I forget how the verse goes because, you know, I haven't picked up a Bible in a while. So, um, I'm sure you know it though. Right.
1: Don't, don't put me on the spot like that.
0: (laughs) But I was fascinated with this whole subject of the I and the me and I sat and as I was pondering it, I realized I could very easily pick out the two voices. Um, and again, that goes back to a psychological speak of the ego and the superego and all of that stuff, you know, that's all very Freudian. Um, but I loved how at the end of this, and I'm going to jump to the end. I mean, there's still more to discuss, but I'm going to jump to this. Um, he says, it is necessary to underline the vast difference between the realization that I and the father are one and the state of mind of the person who, as we say, thinks he is God. If, still thinking that there is an isolated I, you identify it with God, you become the insufferable egomaniac who thinks himself successful in attaining the impossible, in dominating experience, and in pursuing all vicious circles to satisf- satisfactory conclusions. That is not the one I wanted. Darn it. Where is it? Um, oh, here it is. The Christian religion contains its own hidden answer to the problem in the idea that man can only surrender himself in Christ, for Christ stands for the reality that there is no separate self to surrender. To give up I is a false problem. Christ is the realization that there is no separate I. I do nothing of myself. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. And as I read that, it made me go back to what I saw Kyle write this morning. And I thought, I think Kyle gets that,
2: that
0: mm. there, there isn't separation. We, we have determined or defined separation between ourself and God and are trying to live up to some standard of acceptance. And at the end of it, there is an acceptance of I and the father are one. There is no I, me, he, they, it's we, it's mm. all of us. And that, again, led me pondering down, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you or not, but the one, one of the things as I was deconstructing, and I still come back to it occasionally, is the idea that maybe God, maybe God-defined is nothing more than the totality of humanity. It's all of us. Mm. And that's why Jesus said that we should pray for our, our neighbors and our enemies and love one another, because in doing so, we're actually loving us, ourselves, all of us. And so I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I know I just threw a bunch of shit at you, but <laughs> it, it brought out this whole rambling down in my mind. I you know, was rolling through all these thoughts. So as I was coming home, getting ready to do this, uh, literally my head hurt. I thought, my God, there's so much there to think about that. Maybe we've looked at this all wrong all along, you so- know, and it's not us trying to attain something, but to know that we've already attained that we're already part of it
1: so long as you think there is difference in a separation between god and whatever michelle is and whatever matt is and then you say the statement i i am a god or something like that or you mm-hmm. say anything that sounds like that it will sound as blasphemous as as you know whatever right. as the day is long right. um, but if you understand that there really is no separation then that statement is, is is almost, is it self-evident? I don't know if it's self-evident, but it's evident to me.
0: Yes. And that's what I'm saying because I've heard a lot of people that say things like that, like Kyle. And I think Derek is another one that has said it, Derek Day. Sure. I've heard I've heard rumblings back against what they've said as, oh, who do they think they are? They're putting themselves the same as God. And I'm like, I don't I don't think they're doing it from the perspective that the way you're understanding it though.
1: No, I think no, it's
0: different. And I didn't understand why it was different, but it seemed different to me. And now I think this is what it, the difference was.
1: Yeah. Uh, to quote me without you, capital. I does not exist. I right. do not exist. So when I say I am God, it, it's like that, but that I, that you think I'm talking about is not what I'm talking about. Right. Um, it's very difficult for us to to, to grasp. Uh, Alan Watts makes this point. Um, in the West, this will sound blasphemous. If you go to a Hindu, they will say, "Oh, so you finally got it?"
0: When you <laughs> when you
1: say, "I I am I am a god," um, they'll just uh, they'll just look at you and say, "Okay,
0: <laughs> okay, sure, whatever." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but again, it comes back to in and using this from a couple different perspectives, it comes back to ego. I mean, the I is ego in us, but right. it also comes back to the idea of our own ego collectively. When we look at other religions that already see something like that and go, they're wrong. They don't really know God. We need to evangelize them um, and not realize that maybe we ourselves need to be evangelized. And and maybe we need to open our minds and say, we don't have all the answers. and But again, ego ego prevents us from doing so. But as long as there's ego, then there's separation from God, at least in our minds.
1: Yeah, maybe an analogy will help for folks. And it's um, on the chapter on being aware. Watts says, to understand music, you must listen to it. But so long as you are thinking, quote, I am listening to this music, you are not listening. Right. So the minute you start to describe, I am doing this and that, you are not now doing the thing. That you say you are doing. So to, to simply listen to the music, that's kind of when you are, you and the father are one. You are simply experiencing the music. Right. And then you are almost separating yourself. You're going like into your egoic eye and then you're going to describe the music and talk about the music and explain how you are listening to the music. But in doing mm-hmm. so, you are not. <laughs>
0: right. Right.
1: Quite a conundrum. It's
0: fascinating. It is, and it really messes with your mind. Like, because how do you control that? Like, it's like trying to meditate. I, I mean, I don't you meditate?
1: I don't try to meditate, Michelle, because in doing so <laughs> I will have defeated the purpose of meditation. God, oh I'm, such, God. I'm such I'm such an enlightened man. You are. Uh, I
0: can see the shine from here, no, honestly. <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no. I'm fronting. I am totally fronting. I um I, I I will say this. I am terrible at meditating, which means mm-hmm. I need to meditate more because it is a practice. When people say, oh, I'm not good at meditating, I don't see the point, it's like saying, oh, I've played piano for five minutes and I'm no good, so therefore I don't do it. It's like, well, hold on a second. You suck at piano because you haven't practiced. So med- right. meditation is the same thing. I do meditate and I I catch myself over and over labeling the thoughts that are in my head or getting away from just simply experiencing the breath.
0: Right. And that's what I'm saying. It's so hard to do. Um, And to not have that. So going back to this subject, to not have that separation is very difficult because it's so ingrained in us to think that way. It is, I think a lifetime process of unlearning that and, and, learning to just relax and be in the moment. And that's his point in this whole book, being in the moment You know, um, somebody yesterday, I I posted one of the quotes from this book yesterday, and one of my friends posted um, a scene from Spaceballs.
2: Uh
0: Um, It was never my movie, by the way, (laughs) but I thought it perfectly illustrated the point where they were arguing over what was going to happen. And they're like, well, let's just pull out the movie. And he's like, but we're still making the movie. And he's like, yes, but we have this new fangled, whatever. So they pull out the movie Spaceballs, balls and they're fast forwarding and they get to the part where they're at right then. And he they're looking at the screen and they're watching themselves move and they're looking at one another. <laughs> and he goes, where are we now? And he goes, we're now, now And he's like, what does that mean? He goes, Now, now. And I, and so it just made me kind of laugh because I was like, that was really apropos to what I had posted. We're in the now. Now that's where we should stay, <laughs> instead of because yeah. that point that we spend much of our time in the past or in the future, either lamenting or predicting, and we yep. allow that to define our present instead of just experiencing the present, and and not over analyzing it, which again is very difficult. I analyze everything, so yeah, trying likewise. to just be in the moment is very very difficult.
1: Well, but and and it's. And it's so difficult that when we start to describe the moment or talk about the moment, we ourselves are not in the moment. So exactly. <laughs> I, I'm afraid that <laughs> I don't know Alan Watts personally. He died a long time ago, sadly. <laughs> I don't know if he was in the moment writing this because yes. <laughs> he's thinking about the moment while writing this, which is the, it's the confounding conundrum we'll find ourselves in.
0: <laughs> All right. So does anybody else's head hurt right now? Because mine seriously hurts.
1: I feel a (laughs) little lightheaded, but that might be the lack of food. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that'll do it. (laughs) But again, I mean, this can really mess your head up. When you start trying to understand it, then you realize in trying to understand it, I'm defeating the purpose.
2: (laughs) Right. Right.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He had a quote here at the end that I really liked. Um, uh, Of course, you know, eternal life is, is such a big subject, especially within Christianity. Um, Everybody has an idea on what that looks like. Um, and, And he wrote this, and I thought this really resonated. He said, eternal life is realized when the last trace of difference between I and now has vanished, when there is just this now and nothing else. By contrast, hell or everlasting damnation is not the everlastingness of time going on forever, but of the unbroken circle, the continuity, the frustration of going round and round in pursuit of something which can never be attained. Hell is the fatuity, the everlasting impossibility of self-love, self-consciousness, and self-possession. It is trying to see one's own ears. I'm sorry. Trying to see one's own eyes, hear one's own ears, or kiss one's own lips. And I thought, that is futility. That is, again, that is worrying about the future at the expense of right now. So if you think about it, eternal life is right now. And, and I know you you remember this in the book. He talks about time, you know, this this idea of time being very detrimental almost to this idea
2: uh-huh.
0: because we're planning and we're always looking forward when instead we're not enjoying the now. And so it made me start thinking about the whole idea of eternity, that eternity is right now. We're experiencing it right now. And so how are we choosing to experience it? Are we experiencing it with enjoyment or are we in hell?
1: Right. And yeah. It, it, again, that's it, another it,
0: thing that made my head kind of hurt.
1: Yeah, it does make you, I mean, now is eternality. It can never not right. be now. The question is, are you experiencing it or not?
0: Right. And in, in, and if you are, how are you experiencing it? Um, right. Robert Farrar Capon, who I love, by the way, um, in his book, From Noon Till Three, um, he writes a scene in in the third part of the book in which he describes the idea of heaven and hell. And he he regards it as a party, that everybody's at a party and everybody's celebrating and enjoying it. And the person who in, who is in hell, air quotes, isn't absent from the party. They're in the middle of the party, but they choose to not recognize the party.
1: Or they're an introvert.
0: Yeah, okay, or that. <laughs> they're in the corner hiding from all the people. Yes, I understand that completely. But but his point being that it's all about what we choose to experience. And so eternality is ours to define and to experience, but we can't keep looking at it as some far off thing. We have to recognize that it is right now. And we have the ability to recognize happiness in it or hell in it, one or the other and i that's what i kind of got from when i read that in his in watts's book i read that and thought it reminded me of that same story and i was like it's about perspective
1: mm. here's the good news however it is never not now so therefore we, we have a we have a long time to figure it out and yes. and and grace is such that there is no limit on this like if you don't get it by tuesday at 3 You are screwed and you'll never get it. Um, So it's a blessing and a curse.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so is my personality, so I'm used to that.
1: (laughs) Well, I disagree, Michelle. My perspective, my subjective experience is that you are nothing but a blessing. And in fact, in the new book I'm writing, to shamelessly plug uh, the follow-up (laughs) to. Go ahead. The, the, the follow-up to heretic, I include you among the bodhisattvas who are here to aid humanity in their own awakening and enlightenment. So you, my, oh my friend, God. are a bodhisattva. I don't know Whether, what that is. You don't. Well, you don't have to know what it is in order okay. to be one.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, I'm honored. So thank you.
1: Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Brownie points.
0: That's brownie points. And you can shamelessly plug anytime you need to, anything you need to. So.
1: <laughs> well, my my ego would love to do that all the time.
0: <laughs> well, you have done a lot of stuff though. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying that and, and sharing it. So, um, But as it pertains to this book, final thoughts.
1: Final thoughts. Um, uh, life, uh, I'll put it this way the truths of the universe will initially seem paradoxical to most of us, if not all of us. Right. So in order to experience love, you do not grasp it. You give it away. In order to uh, experience God, you do not climb the ladder. You let go of the rungs and things like this. Um, when you, he starts it off with the the law of reversed effort and I'm sure he even uses law uh, loosely there. I um, think so. Because, you know, I mean, just, you know, thinking paradoxically still. <laughs> um, so in our American sensibilities of work harder, work harder, work harder, that in itself is okay, but it's not the end-all be-all in terms of all pursuits.
0: Hmm. Well, I think that's a great final thought.
1: Well, good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, thanks for inviting me to read this book with you. I really liked it. Again, it's something I think I say this almost every book I read. It's something I need to go back and read several times because, again, there's so much to it. And I'm sure that, you know, like I said earlier, based on where you are in your experience or in life, you'll probably pull different things out of anything. So there's value to rereading, of course. Um, But I, I thought it was a great book. And it makes me want to read some more of Alan Watts. So <laughs> I started looking at some of his other books last night. So I'm probably going to end up doing that. Um, so thank you for opening up my world, Matthew. I
1: appreciate oh, it. Oh, yes. Well, thank, thank Mike Machuga because he was the one who okay. introduced me to Watts. And yes, Watts <laughs> is a very prolific writer. So there are yeah. many books. The good thing is <laughs> a lot of them are short. This one's only 152 or something like that. But again,
0: yeah, it's
1: not bad. easy reading, tough to digest.
0: Yes. Yeah. Which is okay. I, think, I okay. think there's something to be said with making yourself ponder the harder things, Yeah, um, you know, and allow it to allow it to ruminate for a while. It's not something you have to sit and do nothing else. You know, it, it, it comes back to you. Oh, I was going to ask you, do you remember he gave an, um, oh, he gave that list of, what is that called? An an, it's not an anagram, an anagram. Is that what I'm trying to think of? Do you remember he gave a little anagram and he said, if you allow your mind to relax, you should know what this means, but don't spend more than a minute on it. Just go on. If you don't now, get it. Oh yeah.
1: I didn't, I didn't get I didn't figure that out. I moved Damn on. It. I was like, thank you for telling me to move on because I wouldn't yes. have.
0: Cause I would have sat there and like killed myself over. It. All right. So anybody that goes and reads this book, if you figure out what that means,
1: yeah, he uh, said, let me know what, what is, Oh, he, uh, those of us who are not geniuses, Know something of the same ability. Take, for example, the anagram Pokateldimik. You can work over these letters for hours, trying system after system of rearranging in order to discover the scrambled word. Try instead looking for the anagram with a relaxed mind and in a very short space and time, your brain will deliver the answer without slightest effort. Footnote If you don't succeed within one minute, read on. Otherwise, you will begin to be annoyed either with yourself or with me, and the consequent strain will interfere with the process. And I was like, thank you, because I'm getting the hell out I- of here.
0: Yeah, I was just really really annoyed with myself. I thought, "Jesus, Michelle, relax your brain. You should be able to figure this."
1: I Which tried
0: taking more pressure. So. I tried so
1: hard to relax that I couldn't.
0: <laughs> exactly. And that will be my final word on the book because that's how I felt by the end of it. I've tried so hard to understand this and I'm not sure I do. Well, here
1: may here may be the genius of Watts that anagram may be nothing at all and the point, the point is to just move on from something that <laughs> instead of getting frustrated, oh I, will
0: God, have, I, I will have
1: to ask him on the other side.
0: There you go. But that actually makes sense.
1: <laughs> yep. I think oh. I solved the anagram was to just simply you move on.
0: <laughs> we did it. All right. So I did do the right thing. I just didn't realize I was doing the right thing. There you go. All righty then. Oh, well, thank you all for joining us here on Bookish. The canon continues. Uh, Run out and get this book. Obviously, it's one that's going to give you a lot to talk about, a lot to think about, but that's good for your brain. Exercise your brain a little bit. Um, Anyway, thank you again, Matt. I appreciate you being here. I love you. You know that. You're one of my dearest friends, Um, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Um, For those of you that are interested, Bookish does have a Facebook group. There's not a whole lot going on in there and I really need some people to pick it up. I guess that should be me. (laughs) I should do that. (laughs) I'm woefully horrible at that though. Um, But you can find uh, bookish on any of the platforms that are available for podcasting. I'm woefully ignorant on all the technicalities of this. That's why Ralph's around. Um, I just get on here and talk into a microphone. That's what I do. Uh, And I'm not even completely comfortable with that. So anyway, with that everybody have a fantastic week and read a book